appreciate the music, appreciate the work of the ministry here. Again, as I mentioned Friday night, let me get this in here. As I mentioned Friday night, we do not take this privilege lightly. So on behalf of Gretchen, and I want to thank you all for welcoming your hearts. You're a very easy group to preach to. That's because the Word of God is faithfully ministered here. So don't take that for granted. Be very thankful for your pastoral staff. I mentioned to Pastor Mike just the way the hymns fit together this morning. You know, as, as, uh, don't take that for granted. So those are prayerfully selected in order to that, the words, the, the way they're sung, the message. So again, uh, just thank you for opening your hearts to us. And I pray that if anything good uh, comes out this weekend, you give God the glory. And we count it a privilege to be here and look forward to working in partnership with Arch Ministries and Grace Church of Mentor and your church plants for many, many years to come. The uh, Smetanas, Dan, is uh, married to my best friend's daughter. Uh, so that was really my first introduction. And I think um, Dave Cannon, who is one of your uh, pastors, one of your church plants, I was in seminary with him. I'm older than Dave, but I went back much later in life. I was the old guy in seminary. So uh, anyway, we have a lot of a lot of interconnections there, and uh, that's not an accident. God allowed that for us to get to know each other. So again, I thank you for, especially those that came out Friday night, thanks for coming out. And again, I think the word I used Friday night was return on investment. You've invested your time in coming, and I pray your heart's been strengthened. So tonight we'll look at an interesting passage here. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. I think we... I'll have certain expectations of life, um, certain expectations of what things should be like. Um, I never will forget I was in seminary. It was about 1993, something like that, I believe. Long before cell phones, but we carried digital pagers. I don't know if any of you remember those things. But I was in sales, and um, we had just... Um, transitioning the company, and I'd given everything I had to go follow the Lord, to call to preach. My wife was expecting, and the beeper goes off. Our child had died. Didn't expect that. I'm sorry I got emotional. I didn't think I would, but you don't get over something like that. So you go and you have certain expectations of life. In this case, maybe certain expectations of marriage. You give yourself totally to it. Tied the message is, I did. I committed my life to my spouse. But maybe they didn't. So the message tonight may be um, where you are. Or it may be a message that you can take notes and encourage somebody else. Because there are going to be seasons where we are discouraged and alone and really confused about what God is doing. You know, I will forget another instance. My dad was real sick, and again, I'd already gone into the ministry. My dad was my business partner, best friend. He had been moved into hospice, and I went to the doctor, and I said, okay, how long do you think he has? He said, certainly, probably. So this was on a Monday. So I'd taken the Monday off to go be with him, and the doctor said, probably the end of the week. I said, okay. So I went back home that night, about a two-hour drive, and he died that night. 
Wasn't supposed to be like that. So the many situations in life, we have expectations. They don't turn out that way. Pastor of a church, plastering a church replant. One weekend, we lost 25% of our congregation. So we went from 17 down, whatever it was. One family moved away for, um, if you know anything about NASCAR, Charlotte's kind of the hub of all that redneck world. And a faithful couple. Boy, what a faithful couple. He built cars. He, he, he put the cars together back in those days. And they had to move about an hour and a half, and they left for that reason. Another couple left for a doctrinal reason. So boom. So Lord, it's not supposed to be like that. So again, I'm not sure where your expectation is and what really happened and where those things don't match up. But especially marriage, you know, you set out and our marriage is going to be great. It's going to be, our family's going to be great, you know, and all this. And you turn out and marriage may not be exactly where you think it is. I committed. Maybe your spouse died. I committed and maybe your spouse didn't. We committed and our kids went off into the world. So tonight's message is really how to deal with times of discouragement, confusion. You know, and again, within the marriage, things just didn't go the way you thought, but uh, you're discouraged, you're alone, and, and family life is not your refuge like you think it ought to be. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, it came about when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John was where? This is John the Baptist. So John finds himself in prison heard the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him. So John the Baptist's disciples said to who? Talk to me here, stay engaged. I know it's been a long weekend. Talk to Christ. Notice the wording. Are you the coming one? This is John the Baptist. So this is John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. Where does he find himself? In prison, he sends word by his disciples to ask Christ, are you, are you the coming one? Or what does the last phrase in that verse say? Or what? Do we look to another? So if John the Baptist can be confused about what God's doing, discouraged and alone, I think we can say, Lord, what are you doing? So the message tonight is to look and encourage you. That during those times of loneliness, confusion, God's still reigning, God's still on the throne. So our expectations may be here, reality may be here. You with me? So we thought 30 years ago we would have three or four or five or six children. And 30 years later, you're childless. Or your spouse walked out. Or whatever those family expectations are, are you the coming one or do I look for another? What's going on? So this evening's message, to wrap everything up, there are going to be seasons of discouragement, seasons of loneliness, but it does not mean God's forsaken you. You're going to minister to people that are confused and alone about what God is doing. 
And I just want us to walk through this passage tonight so you can take this passage and sit down and use it to counsel, to disciple, and to help others understand. Or maybe tonight's message is for you. Father, we need you tonight. We know your grace is sufficient for every need. Father, we understand that we have certain expectations, but in reality, you're molding us to be who you want us to be. Father, I thank you that you're the potter and we're the clay. I thank you, Father, that as we come into your word tonight, that there's always hope. As long as we do it your way, through your word. So, Father, meet with us. Meet the needs of hearts here tonight. Meet the needs of hearts that these good people may take this message to and share them with. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So look on your outline. In times of discouragement or confusion, you may be asked, Lord, what are you doing to me? Lord, what are you doing to me? So we understand also you may not understand what the Lord is doing. We just talked about it in verses 1 through 3. John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Messiah, finds himself in prison. Now, in the context of what's going on, and he said, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Or do we look for another? Let's figure out where John finds himself. So how could one like John the Baptist go from the saying, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, how could he go from that and then questioning, are you the one or do we look for another? How does that happen? Well, I think part of it is expectations. John finds himself where? In verse 2, where is John the Baptist? In prison. Why is he in prison? Because of his preaching. If you would look at the screen on this. Uh-oh, sorry about that. Maybe it's not engaged. Let's see if I can get this. Man. Oh, I know what I did. I started to the end. It's doing exactly what it's being told to do. It's just the operator doesn't know what he's doing. All right, here we go. Let's try this. There we go. All right, so we're told later on in Matthew 14 what really happened. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John, this is John the Baptist, said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So we understand that as John is preaching, as John is teaching, he's doing what? He's declaring the word of God. Had God called him to be a prophet, yes or no? Yeah. So was John the Baptist declaring the word of God clearly, I mean, uh, clearly and lawfully on what should be happening? Yes, he is. So I remind you in verse 2 that when John is in prison, he's exactly where he should be for what he was doing because he preached and he declared exactly what should have been taught and declared. But he landed in prison because of it. Now think with me, if you would. The coming Messiah. What did we know? What did John know about when the Messiah comes, what will he do? So now let's look at Matthew chapter 3. But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you say to yourselves, We have Abraham as a far father. I say to you, these stones God is able to raise up the children to Abraham. Now notice carefully. The Acts, this is John the Baptist preaching. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What does fire represent? Judgment. Okay. 
Verse 11, as for me, I baptize you in order for repentance, but he who is coming is mightier than I. I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor. He will gather his wheat to the barn, and then what's going to happen? He will judge. He will set everything in order. Now, this is what he knows the Messiah will do when the Messiah comes. Back in Matthew 3, he teaches this. Go to Matthew 11, verse 2. Where does John find himself? In prison. So when the Messiah comes, he's going to set all wrongs right. Everything that unjustly will be done justly. But yet John finds himself a captive to Herod. The Messiah, Jesus, has not freed him. The Messiah came to be, to be a judge. Why has Herod not been judged? Well, where do you find yourself right now? What prison do you find yourself in? When in reality, you got to say, wait a minute, God, why is this happening to me? Expectations are here. Reality's not matching that. So we got to say, Lord, what are you doing? So we must not fret over this. Let's go on to verse 4. You should understand what the Lord has said. You may not understand what the Lord is doing, but you should understand what the Lord has said, verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and report to John the things which you hear and see. Notice verse 5. What happens? The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So go tell them. This is what's happening. The blind, by the way, what's happened? They've been healed. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, Christ did not answer the question directly. He simply told them, this is what's going on. All this is going on because he is who? The Messiah. So he said, okay, go tell John these things. And he lifts all that's happening. And then in verse 6, he says, and by the way, blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. So what is verse 5 talking about? How did Christ answer him? He answered with clearly saying, please understand the power of God. So the power of God, the blind see, the lame walk, all these are messianic passages. And he goes on to say, this is the power of God being demonstrated. And by the way, verse 6, blessed is he who does not stumble over these things. Blessed is he who keeps doing what he should be doing regardless of where he finds himself. So the way I like to put it is this. Verse 6, blessed is he who looks at God's word and holds to it or keeps it even when reality and expectations don't match. Another way I like to put it is this. You should live in the power of God, okay, understanding everything God is doing. The lame walk, the blind see. Okay, all that's taking place in verse 5. So you should live in the power of God by resting in the timing of God. Verse 6, blessed is he who's not offended. So as I live in the power of God, I can rest, R-E-S-T, in the timing of God. Now, will the Messiah bring judgment? Yes, but not at this time. 
So even though I might not understand what the Lord is doing, I should understand what the Lord has said and his promises. I've got in your outline this. Four stabilizing truths from Ken Collier, who is uh, the president of the Wiles. Put this way, four anchors in your life. I like the word anchor because my dad and I grew up fishing together. And back in the days, you know, anchors, you know, we, li we lived on a very large freshwater, didn't live on it, but in our town was a very large freshwater lake. And uh, we loved to bass fish. And so it was a small boat, you know, 16, 17 feet, not large like you have here for Lake Erie, okay? But anchors are very important because without the boat being stable, you couldn't tell if the line was dragging on something or you had a fish. So anchors are very important. So I love the word. So these are kind of like anchors. Number one is God's love for me is unchanging. So even though I may not understand what God is doing, I should understand what God has said. In all these verses, Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord's appeared to me. Yes, I've loved you with an everlasting love. God's love for me is unchanging. And this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us. So God's love for me is unchanging. Number two, God's purpose for me is Christ-likeness. Even when I'm in prison, I'm waiting on God to judge, and that's not happening. I'm living in the power of God or resting in the timing of God. God's purpose for me is Christ's likeness, that I may be conformed to the image of His Son, that I may be mature in Christ. Number three, God's word for me is the final right answer. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, His divine power has given to me all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who's called us to glory and virtue by which we've been given exceedingly great and precious promises. So God's word for me is the final right answer. I'm going to take God at his word. I'm going to rest in his word regardless of what I don't understand going on in life. So God's love for me is unchanging. God's purpose for me is Christ's likeness. God's word for me is the final right answer. And number four, I want you to understand God's grace for you is sufficient. God's grace, His enabling power. Grace is give me what I don't deserve. Grace is that spiritual fuel that allows me to do God's will for my life. And God's grace is sufficient. Regardless of whether I understand what's going on or not, while John the Baptist is in prison, while I am, quote, in my prison, God's grace for me is sufficient. When I'm discouraged and alone, I don't understand what God is doing. God's grace for me is sufficient. Therefore, be strong in the Lord. Lord, come boldly before the throne of grace. Again, so your expectations in reality may be different. There was several of us who were called to preach about the same time at a University of Baptist Church in Clemson. And uh, a fellow who was called to preach after me, his name is Carl Sebris. Carl was, uh, we both in a family business. He and his dad were engineers, and they had a consulting business. And my dad and I, we were in office products. But Carl, we had a lot of similar backgrounds. Carl was a gifted guy. Carl played soccer at the University of South Carolina. His wife, Trish, played tennis at Clemson. So when you get a Gamecock and a Tiger together, it's kind of like Ohio State and Michigan, okay? God's got to be in that, all right? But they got married, and, and we had a great friendship. And so Carl finished seminary shortly after I did, and Went and took a church in Florida and came down with cancer. Carl was so academically gifted, any of you that had Greek, Carl taught himself Greek first year of Greek, elementary Greek. He exempted out of the first year, gifted guy. 
He ended up six children, I believe they had. So, I mean, he, he, he set his whole family aside and went to seminary and did all this. And Carl took him down with cancer. Carl's now with the Lord. So think of Trish. Her husband gave up the career in the business world. Went to help a church in Florida. Pastored it. And she's now widowed. Now, Trish is not saying this. But if I'm Trish, I'm saying, Lord, what are you doing? I'm alone. My wife is, I mean, my husband's with you. So, again, expectations and realities. Carl and Trish, great couple, gifted couple. You know, I say, Lord, what are you doing? You may find yourself in prison, so in times of discouragement, confusion, you may ask, Lord, what are you doing to me? Now, look, if we start in verse 7, I'm going to change the way this outline is. So look on the screen in just a minute. But starting in verse 7, I want you to understand this. In times of discouragement, confusion, you may ask, Lord, am I a failure? Or, Lord, did I waste my time? Again, you entered into this marriage. You, you committed, but your spouse didn't. And, you, and all of a sudden, you get years down the Lord and say, Lord, why, why in the world am I a failure? And Lord, what are you doing to me now? Lord, am I a failure? Or, Lord, did I waste my time? Pick it up, verse 7. And as these were going away, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing in the king's palaces. Verse 9, But why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, the one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, those born of women, there is none arising anyone greater than John the Baptist. So you must ask this in this next point. I got to ask you, so it is never a waste of time to obey God in your role. I remind you, it's never a waste of time when you obey God in your role. John the Baptist came and did exactly what God wanted him to do. He preached. He preached hard. That was the role God gave him to do as the forerunner to the Messiah. And here we have an explanation. Even though John is wondering what in the world is going on here in verses 7 through 11, you see very clearly John did. John was a prophet. He was a more than a prophet. He, was a, he prepared the way of the Lord. He goes on to say, hey, so what I'm saying is John the Baptist in his role was greatly used of God even though he didn't even realize it because he's sitting in prison. His expectations were something different. But Christ gives us an insight. Oh, yeah, let me tell you about John the Baptist. Let me tell you about him. And, you know, when you look at this and, and you see what Christ is saying, John's still in prison. And so, you know, John may not be even encouraged by this at this time. So John's still stuck in, stuck in prison and his expectations are not being met. He's all alone. Life is not what he expected it to be. And what he was expecting wasn't happening. I remind us, all of us can have wrong thinking about what God is doing in our life. All of us can. Christ told us the truth about who John was. And in his role, he never, it was not a waste of time to do what he's doing, even though he found himself in prison. So within your role, where God puts you, 
within that role, you fulfill your biblical responsibilities, and it's never a waste of time. Say that again. In your role as husband, wife, father, mother, stay at home, changing diapers all day. You say, this is not very glorious. Oh, until years later when you see the investment in these children paying off. When you're getting up all night and all day, you're carting children around, you feel more like a taxi driver than a mother or a father, right? Just remember that you're never wasting your time to obey God in the role where he has placed you. Never. John the Baptist, Christ made it very clear. Starting at the end of verse 11, all you want to see is never a waste of time when you accept God's ways. It's never a waste of time when you accept God's ways. Look at the end of verse 11. Yet who is least in the kingdom of God of heaven is greater than he. Who is he? John the Baptist. He goes on in verse 12, says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and, it, and if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah who, have, who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want to apply these verses to where you are right now in, in simply this way. Where you are right now, trying to fulfill your role as husband, wife, father, mother, there's going to be opposition to that. The world may mock you. The world may laugh at you. And as you do that, please understand the way it's said here is that he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, John the Baptist. You know, you, you think about the knowledge that we have because we have the completed word of God. We fully understand now the Messiah. We even understand how the, how the world's going to end. We understand how the last chapter is written. We understand our Savior is the victor. He is the king. Every knee will bow. John the Baptist was faithful in what he did with the knowledge he had. You don't know what's coming in the future. You don't know that. Again, I go back. We live in the power of God and rest in the timing of God. Okay, we must live. The blind see, excuse me, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. So we are to live in the power of God at the same time we are to rest in the timing of God. God will deliver you, God will make whatever is right, right at the time it needs to be. So the question is, are you faithful? in your roles and responsibilities right where you are, husband, wife, grandfather, grandmother, mother, daughter, whatever that role is, are you faithful in doing that? And maybe God has taken your spouse. Or maybe your spouse walked out on you. You committed to the covenant. They did not. All these expectations you had have not been met. But I remind you, it's never a waste of time when you accept God's ways for your life. Never a waste of time. Let's go back over to verse 28 of Matthew 11. The little word I mentioned earlier, R-E-S-T, it's hard to rest when our souls are in anguish and not accepting what God is doing. So in verse 28, this invitation is given by Christ. Come unto me, 
all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you, what's our word here? Rest. See, even though you may be discouraged, you may be alone, you may be confused about what God is doing, you do understand what God has said. You can accept this invitation. Come unto me, all ye who are weary. Life is, can be very difficult. The defined Friday night marriage is two sinners living in one house. Okay? If you're just alike, one of you is probably not needed. Okay? Life can be hard. It's not a matter if we have problems. It's where we go to to solve our problems. And so God's Word has given us everything we need to learn how to make our marriages pleasing to God. And it gets wearisome because the world is attacking you. The world is attacking who you are as a Christian. Our culture is attacking us. And Christ says, okay, you're weary. come unto me, all ye who, who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Again, verse 5, what did Christ tell John the Baptist's disciples? The blind see, the lame walk. And by the way, these four, so we've got to live in the power of God. Why? He gives us rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my load is light. So during these times of confusion, during these times of loneliness, during these times of expectations, during these times of being rejected, during these times of doubting God. Yeah, I think most Mondays, you can ask my wife, most Mondays I quit as a pastor. I just give up. I can't do this, you know. And, and I know I'm not alone. What does Christ say? Come unto me. Come on. All ye who labor and are heavy laden, all ye who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Now, folks, I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what struggles and what loneliness and what discouragement you face. But I want you to understand you can live in the power of God while resting in the timing of God. And as you're fulfilling your roles, it's never a waste of time. And it's never a waste of time when you accept God's ways. Never. Never. Even when you are forsaken and a spouse walks out on you. Even when you are rejected and you're discouraged and you don't understand what God is doing. We all have these ideas when we first get married. Okay, life is going to be like this. And then reality comes up and you realize you married and, and you know, she's a sinner just like you are. And she realizes you're probably a far worse sinner than she ever thought you could be. I want to close with this illustration of why it's never a waste of time. We had a lady that came to our church several years ago. Um, we had the privilege of, she was, she was a believer, but she was a, um, she was a divorcee. Her husband had walked out on her a long time ago, like 20-something years ago. He just walked out. Have two daughters, and she has three or four grandchildren, I think three grandchildren. And um, her husband was um, living with a girlfriend. 
And by the way, I have her permission to tell you this. Okay. So the husband of many years walked out many years ago. He's living with somebody else. He comes down with stage four cancer. Remember, the girlfriend's still in the house. You with me? Who does he call? Calls a member, Glenda, in our church. Says, Glenda, I've got stage four cancer. I don't have long to live. Can I come back home and will you nurse me till I die? Discouraged, alone, for all these years. Now, i tell you what I would have done. <laughs> I'd have kicked him in the teeth. No. She called me. She said, Pastor, this is what's going on. I've been praying for all these years for him. Said, um, so I get, a, I get a call from her, or text. It says, um, his name is Don. So Pastor Don would like to talk to you. Can you come to the hospital? I said, okay, I'll be there. And so I got a man from our church to go with us, and I walk in um, somewhere to the Cleveland Clinic. It's the major hospital in downtown Charlotte. Go up to the floor. So I walk in this room, and there were, again, I hadn't met, I never met him. You with me? So I didn't know all the details. All I know is I walk in, and Glenda's over here. The bed's here. Glenda's over here. Her daughter's over here, and there's this other woman beside his bed. And as I come up, this other woman leans down and kisses him. So it must be the other daughter. Right? No, who was it? The girlfriend. So I come in, and I said, Don, introduce myself to him. And I said, tell me a little bit about what's going on. And um, so Glenda said, Don, this is Pastor Fant. He's my pastor. And you said you want to talk to somebody, so here he is. So he explained his condition. So I went through the gospel very frankly and very firmly. And that night he trusted Christ to save him. And redeem him. Glenda fully understand. Or understood. That all those years of praying. Were not wasted. Okay. In times of discouragement or confusion. You may say Lord am I a failure. Or Lord did I waste my time. So they sent Don home to. To die. So where'd he go? Glenda pulled him in her house. Remember her house. That she had to buy after he left her. With two girls to raise. You with me? So I mean, she didn't go into his house. Their house. She brought him into her house. So I went and talked to him, and, and he was just rejoicing, sitting on the front porch. And, and he, he was a new creature in Christ. Well, what I want you to understand is, Don died. 
dead. God used a godly ex-wife. God used a woman who knew what it was to show somebody the love of Christ. Many years later of discouragement and confusion, many years after he walked out on her, all those years of praying for his salvation, her prayers were answered. And of course, they weren't remarried or anything. I mean, there wasn't the time for anything like that. But what I'm trying to tell you is, we may not understand what God is doing, but we do know what God has said. I can live in the power of God whether I am in prison, whether I've been forsaken, whether your spouse has walked out on you, whether your children treat you like dirt, what you fill in the blank of what your family needs are. But during times of discouragement and confusion, you always can go back and understand that John the Baptist even questioned, Lord, are you really the one? So I don't think, so is, is it wrong to question God? John the Baptist did. But we must go back to the anchors of what Christ said. By the way, yes, lames, the lame walk, the blind see, on and on and on. So I challenge you, as you are living in a life right now where you may be discouraged and confused about everything God is doing, you've got to take God at His word. You've got to live in the power of God and then come unto Him and rest rest and say, Lord, here I am. I just want to be used by you. And I'm telling you, at the funeral, at Don's funeral, I mean, you're talking about unsafe people because his whole family, this is a pattern in his family. The gospel. To be able to say, let me show you what the love of Christ looks like. And I boldly said that. Glenda loved him, prayed for him, even though he walked out, he moved in with at least one other woman, I think many. This was just the current one. He walked out on her. But yet when it came time, she showed him the love of Christ. She had God's grace, because God's grace is sufficient. So no matter where God has you right now, the prison, wherever you want, you want to call it, wherever you want to call it, you may be questioning God. Well, other families in our church, they don't face these struggles. I'm the only divorcee, or I'm the only divorcee that's been through this. I want you to know some of the choice saints in our church of those who have been forsaken by a spouse and are now serving God. I don't know what your need is. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you're discouraged. I don't know where you feel like you're alone. I don't know where you feel imprisoned. But go back to live in the power of God. God has you exactly where he wants you. I remind you, he's the potter, I'm the clay. 
He's molding me and making me and forming me to the image of Christ. Therefore, I can run to him and I can rest. And while I am resting, verse 28, while I'm resting in the power of God and resting in the timing of God, I then can say, Lord, use me however you want to use me. And I saw in Glenda's life someone responding in a Christ-like way. In such a way, he knew where to go for answers. He wanted to go back to the woman he knew had prayed for him. And praise God, she, she responded in a Christ-like way. Praise the Lord for that. I'm telling you of that tonight. I'm encouraging you of that tonight. Because she loved him like Christ did. She was in that role. Yes, she had been divorced, and yes, she had been forsaken. But she was not willing that allowed to allow that to get in the way to the gospel being given to him. We have a saying in our family, I don't know who coined it, but the last chapter is not written until you bury somebody. Therefore, whether it's a son, a daughter, a spouse, an ex-spouse. I can be discouraged. I can be alone. So was John the Baptist. And Christ said, the blind see, the lame walk, the gospel's preached. So I want you to live in the power of God while you're resting in the timing of God. And understand any Investment you're making for Christ is never a waste of time. Never. So be encouraged. There are going to be days that you get hit right in the face. There are going to be days you feel like, I cannot do this anymore. There are going to be hours where you can say, Why, you know, what, what are we doing? God, what are you doing to me? I cannot do... Lord, I have done all I can do, but yet this is what you've brought my way. You know, I kind of go back to where I started in our family when the Lord decided that he wanted David with him instead of with us. My wife was enabled to write a little booklet called Dear Kathy, but it wasn't a booklet at the time. She just sat down after... God ministered to our hearts, right, the way he did when our child went to heaven. We had another dear friend in our local church. Same thing happened. So my wife just sat down and penned a note, dear Kathy, uh, you know, this is what God taught me on and on and on and on. And um, just wrote her a note of encouragement. Years later, we were back in Clemson and Kathy went up and wife said, you know, I've copied that letter you sent me and sent it to so many ladies that they've, she said, what letter was that? I don't, re and she said, well, you send it to me. So by God's grace, we took that letter and put it in a booklet form. And, you know, it, it's, it's amazing that God opens, that becomes a platform of ministry. Okay. So where God has you, 
and the trials you're going through, when you feel discouraged and alone, that may be the exact platform God gives you to tell of his love, of his goodness, and of his grace. So who do you think I'm sending somebody to if their husband walks out and moves in with somebody else and the guy's unsaid? Who do you think I'm sending them to? Glenda. Because she realizes now that the last chapter has been written in Don's life, we buried him. But boy, was the grace of God ever on that situation at the end. Wow. So folks, where are you? Discouraged? Confused? Alone? I mean, how many families, you know, you come to and, they're, and they've been forsaken by children or parents? You know, my wife was saved out of Catholicism. I was saved out of liberal mainline denomination, United Methodist Church. You know, that we found each other. Our families weren't real happy about us leaving. You know, whatever we did, I mean, you do that, you're alone. I don't know where you are. I don't know the struggles you face. But I do know this. God loves me and God loves you. I don't ever want to get over that. Because no matter how hard life becomes, no matter what expectations I have and they're not met, I know God loves me. And that never changes. So tonight, I'll close with this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, Christ says, all you who are burdened. And he says, I will give you rest. Be encouraged. Father, I thank you for difficult seasons of life. Father, we rejoice in your goodness, even though many times we don't understand what you're doing. Father, I pray as we conclude this conference that all those listening to this message would be encouraged by your love, by your grace, and by your promise of rest. Father, I thank you that, that we're a lot like John the Baptist. We're in prison and we just don't know what you're doing. But we also thank you for your word that you tell us who you are. You tell us of your power and you tell us of your timing. And we thank you for the invitation to come unto you and rest. So, Father, we ask you as long as we have the ability to breathe and serve you, Father, we'd be dependent upon you to see you use us to reach others with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, may we not be weary in well-doing. May we not give up. May we not be to the point of being discouraged where we are of no use to you. Father, give us the strength to stay in our roles and give us the strength to understand that our time invested for you is never wasted. Father, we thank you for our time, I pray, as we conclude this conference, that Father, our hearts would be still and you would work in us in every way that needs to be worked. So, Father, I know there are many hearts here that are burdened for others, maybe even burdened about what's going on in their own life. And, Father, I pray as we just take a couple of minutes here just to be silent before you, that, Father, that we would commit this to you. We would understand that you love us. 
You have the power to deliver us at any time from the situation. But Father, also that you love us so much, you want us to learn so much more about you. And Father, we would come unto you and rest, understanding your yoke is light. So Father, we ask you now just to work in our hearts. Help us get some things right and rest in you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. What I want to do is just ask you to meditate on these truths. Pastor Kent's going to come in a minute and close. I thank you again for your time, but I really want you to be resting in the love of God. I want you resting in the power of God. That your marriage may glorify God. Your role and responsibilities may honor God. So you do business with God and then Pastor Kent will come and close us.